from Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. I'm Mark Quanstrom. And I'm Tara Beth Leach, and we are joined again by the most wonderful Dr. Beth Felker-Jones as we are continuing conversations on the church. On the church and uh, the fallenness of the church. Oh, do we say that? Mm. The sin in the church. We're continuing the conversation from last week. And Dr. Jones said something very interesting at the very end of last podcast that um, I wanted to follow up on. She said she was a Protestant because she couldn't believe in the holiness of the church, one holy Catholic church, one holy universal church. You stumbled over holy. It's the place that makes me stumble when I go to church, yeah? Uh, so, so you don't, so what do you do with, what do you do when we're reciting the Nicene or Apostles' Creed? Do you drop that word and I, not say it? I believe in that. Church, I, I I am gonna plead my creedal orthodoxy. I, I do. Okay. I do believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, but we have to believe those things sort of already and not yet. I think um, that the church is the church as it is, and it is also the church as it should be, will be, right? Is is becoming, um, but. Part of what it means to acknowledge that the church should be holy, uh, I think, is to see where it falls short. And it falls short. As you were talking, it occurred to me that it might be as problematic to say one, just to say, I believe in a holy church. It might be as problematic to say, I believe in one church. Because there's not one church. I think students have a hard time uh, buying it when I try to convince them there's any way to think about the oneness of the church. I think there is. But again, it's going to be in some kind of tension. Uh, we're not totally there yet, for sure. So there's, yeah, so the church is as holy as it is one, as it is universal, as it is apostolic. Sure, that seems right. And as it will be. As it will be. So it's a faith statement in the creed. That is so right. Everything in the creed is a faith statement. And so you just fixed it all there, Mark, by by... Uh, naming it as such. And that's a wrap, folks. We are done today. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a short one. You know, I, I mean, I think about the Apostles' Creed, though, just for a moment. You know, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and then it is followed up with, and the forgiveness of sins hmm. and the life everlasting. Uh, I think it's fitting with this conversation that we're having um, to emphasize the part of the forgiveness of sins that there is a fallenness within the church, that there is parts of it that I might be sitting on an airplane and someone says, oh, you know, what do you do for a living? And I say, a pastor. And I hold my breath for a second. Right. Because I think, what has been their experience? And then I remember, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily remember that in that moment, but as we're talking about this now, but so what do we do with that? Because I, I appreciate the tension that, that you're highlighting, Beth. And one of the things that I so passionately believe about being a theological practitioner is holding on to the tensions. 
the moment that we try to neatly wrap up anything is when we get into murky and dangerous, sometimes heretical waters, depending on the mm. topic. And so there are tensions here with the Holy Church, the oneness of the church. And I, I would love to unpack, undo, unravel a little bit um, that statement, because I think there's something there, um, whether we maybe are coming at it different angles or we have... I think we all have the same end goal. We want we want to see the holiness of the church. We mm-hmm. we believe that um, when Peter kind of reclaims the church as the holy nation, the royal priesthood, hmm. uh, we we want that, and we've fallen short. And part of that's because the church exists for the sake of a broken world, and um, the way we serve in that brokenness is not to say fix yourself and then come come home mm-hmm. it's to say come home um, and yeah. uh, then things will begin uh, to change and so to some extent I think there can't be a perfectly holy church in this life um, if the gospel is grace and not works mm-hmm. uh, and if membership is grace and not works, and if the parts of the body of Christ are there uh, by grace and not works. And that doesn't mean a cheap grace, right, that we just cover over our lack of holiness. Um, but it always means that everybody's welcome um, and that the only thing you can do to make yourself not welcome uh, is to leave, <laughs> uh, to walk right out that that door. Um, so if all of us who are there inside the door uh, are broken sinners who are being healed, uh, we're going to find brokenness in the body as well. But that is so unacceptable to so many people because of the proclamation of the church. Because it, because it isn't only about forgiveness, right? It is, it is about holiness. It is about character. It is about integrity. And we're living through an age, a, an, an age of an, a, a present-day muckraking, um, highlighting the uh, sin of the church over and over and over again. Right. So, I mean, there, there's not a week that goes by we don't hear another story mm-hmm. of a church leader or a congregation um, that has fallen so far short. Right. And it's heartbreaking. And that's why I say, if I expected the church to be holy, I couldn't keep going. Uh, what, I, what I mean is, uh, I'm not surprised that any one of us in the church uh, should fall, uh, should fall short. Uh, that, again, that doesn't mean those things don't matter. And I think um, there's another conversation to be had, too, about leaders and yes. what we expect of them and, right. and so on. Um, but I expect the church to be a place where broken people are um, seeking holiness, growing into holiness. And I think you know, the holiness of the Lord looks funny. It doesn't look like perfectly unbroken things. It looks like mended things, right? Yeah, and I think you know so much of this is also what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was getting at with the cost of discipleship. You know, he wanted, he didn't want cheap grace. Mm. Um, he was looking at the church then, and he was troubled. Mm-hmm. And he he recognized that it was grace and works that we had to carry our crosses. You know, and with that, 
like I, as pastors, as theological practitioners, uh, our role is always to call the church to carry their crosses and to have a vision of that already, but not yet, especially that not yet. You know, so for me as a pastor, so much of my preaching is pushing people towards that vision of the not yet. It's mm. it's exactly what we see in the Sermon on the Mount. Yep. It's that this, I mean, the way that Jesus articulates the Sermon on the Mount, like who who can, you know, who can live by that? And at the same time, I mean, we're reminded that, I mean, Jesus didn't sugarcoat it. He also didn't, you know, he didn't preach a Sermon on the Mount and then say, you know, Thank goodness for grace, because you're not going to be able to live this. Uh, he actually ends it with quite the severe and intense kind of altar call moment. And he says, listen, at the end of the day, like, if if you can't abide by this, I mean, he doesn't say it like this, but I mean, that there's a narrow, there's or there's a wide, wide gate for you. Um, if you're going to live by this, that's the narrow gate. And, you know, or there's two types of foundation, sandy foundation and firm foundation, and so perhaps what we're hearing so much um, today with fallen pastors, fallen church leaders, the brokenness in the church, is we are hearing an emphasis and an highlighting on those who have chosen chosen the wide path, who have chosen to build their homes and oftentimes their castles on a sandy foundation. Now, here's what I wonder I, now I'm I'm just thinking out loud, which I guess I do this too often on this podcast. But here we go. <laughs> um, I agree. <clears throat> we are hearing about it constantly, and I want to say 2014, 2013, 2015, when when this was really really beginning, like just this unraveling. The curtains were being pulled back all over the place. So many of us went through just this deconstruction moment and. That is eventually then why and when I wrote Radiant Church, because I was just troubled by the state of the church. And now here we are. We're in 2024, okay? And I can hardly log on to Twitter anymore. I I, I used mm. to be so active into Twitter, in Twitter. I can hardly log on to Twitter anymore because it continues to just perpetuate and churn this almost like that this and I'm confessing at times feels toxic for my own soul mm-hmm. and for my own imagination and for my own heart because it seems as though there are so many and now I'm taking this down a track and maybe we need to bring this to the cutting room floor eventually but here we go no let's do it um so many that are now building their own platforms which appears to me to be another sandy foundation mm-hmm. of is it tearing the church down? Because now they've they've created their own brand, they're making their own money, they're writing their own books, mm-hmm. they're getting their own. It's become this own cottage industry, which then, in the minds of those peering in the windows of the church that are looking, that are saying, "Wow, is that what your Jesus is like?" And okay, like I'm not. It almost sounds like I'm kind of gaslighting those who are out there writing it. I'm just wrestling. Right. Like how much is how much are we tearing down um, something that is beautiful? So the church is beautiful with its sin. I mean, OK, so uh, we, we had a conversation. Let me just 
give more context before this. Before we, we hit record on this podcast, you know, we were talking, is the church holy? Is the church not holy? And we've heard the confession from Beth. Yes, I mean, ultimately it is. I believe in that. And I am a romantic. I'm a romantic. I am an idealist. I get caught up in utopia and longing and being a prisoner of hope. And I was criticized for this when I wrote Radiant Church that I was just way too hopeful and um, hmm. way, way too hopeful in the trajectory of the really? church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I hope is a virtue. Can you have too much of it? Oh. <laughs> hope, wow. Hope is a virtue in some circles and other circles, not so much. But in the order of reality, in it the is order a of reality. There you go. There you go. Yeah. What did Andy Dufresne say about hope? What was that quote from Shawshank Redemption about hope will kill you or something? He doesn't hope because it just leads to disappointment. And so, mm-hmm. but I agree with Beth that uh, how can you have too much hope, right? So, so you got critiqued in Radiant Church for believing in the church too much? Mm. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and and the grounds for that is the sin in the church. Mm-hmm. That was a justification for that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, and there was a lot of conversation by, well, Terabeth, what do you mean by church? You know. Oh, um, here we go. You know. Yeah. And so, but yeah, I I I am, and I wrote a very hopeful view for most of the book. I mean, I would say there were parts where I addressed things, especially in the beginning, but that it moved very much towards a hopefulness. And so much of it is I, when Peter says, but you are the chosen ones. You are the royal priesthood. Right. You are a holy nation. I think, yeah, we're the light of the world. Yeah. And I, if I get off Twitter for a second, which I do now, um, let me, let me just tell you a story. Okay. Um, so there last summer after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, um, that's when I was still primarily, I was on Twitter quite a bit still back right. then. And I thought, I think that the conversation on Roe v. Wade is so important. Okay. Right. It's so, so, so important. And I think that we need to work those conversations out. And it's not that I, I think that Twitter, um, blog posts, media, has a way of helping people understand the nuancing in conversations, okay? Sometimes when we get just, we it can really warp reality of the state of the church, okay? Twitter does. Twitter does. X does, right? Yes, X yeah. does, right. And, and I think sometimes, you know, similarly, when we're hearing about moral failures, it can really warp our, re- right. warp our reality of the church. Right. And that week, I just so happened to be preaching at my son's middle school retreat. Oh, sweet. Yeah. And uh, it was, you know, several days after the overturning. And, you know, I remember sitting on the sidelines watching 150 middle schoolers play games and pulling up Twitter, thinking, oh, my gosh, this world is just like unraveling. How are are we going to respond as pastors and as, as Christians and I mean, like some vitriol, right? And the, and I remember just thinking, oh, the church is a mess. The church is so unholy, the church is. And then we go into worship service, and I see I'm watching just 150 middle schoolers. And 
they've got their arms around each other and they're singing in worship and they're praising God. And I watch them and I watch this group of middle school boys turn around and they see um, another boy in the back with a disability that he's all by himself and they, they bring him up and they include him in the fold. And I remember thinking, meanwhile, mm-hmm. meanwhile, mm-hmm. the spirit of God is alive within his church. Mm-hmm within God's church. Amen. I think that's absolutely right. And it's so easy to confuse the high profile failures and the platformed and the would be platformed uh, with with the church itself. Yeah. Uh, but so much of it is at a youth retreat yeah. or wherever, right? Um, I always think of this auction. Uh, I think you know lots of churches do this kind of thing. An auction our youth group has to raise money for an admission trip. And people donate various items, right? And uh, there are these pies, which often go for a very high amount, right? Miss somebody's pies. Um, and my daughter's confirmation sponsor bought one of these pies, a $700 blueberry pie. <laughs> bought it and then brought it over to my family's table and gave it to us, right? Like, there's the church, mm-hmm. right? Um, and in so mm-hmm. many other places as well, Uh the ordinary and the daily, I think maybe part of what I'm trying to say is holiness sometimes looks a lot less spectacular than we want it to look. Yeah, that's um, good. And even when it when it in, is lost in the spectacular, it doesn't mean there's nothing left. Yeah, so all of us are still in the church, and we're not naive. I mean, gee whiz, Terbeth's story coming out of Paznaz. How many years was it since that you left Paznaz that you wrote Radiant Church? How many years was it between your leaving Paznaz and Radiant Church? I wrote it in the last year. The last year while at Paznaz. Correct. You're writing Radiant Church while you're at Paznaz. Correct. That's a big deal. You, I mean, you hadn't recovered. You were in the middle of it. You were in the middle of it, and you're writing Radiant Church. And I still love it. I still have. Yeah, I just am. The, they I am were killing you. I they know, were killing you. I know, but I want to believe that it's possible. All right. And and Beth Felker-Jones is believes in the church. I mean, that's how that third paragraph starts, right? I, I mean, I mean, I, I believe in the church, Right. So, but your tradition, your your particular denomination, would, what? It, how did you say it? Or before we, the podcast began, uh, maybe I said it's dissolved, but not even really. Uh, yeah, I've been a United Methodist my whole life, my whole Christian life, both of those things. Um, and here is this denomination that's barely older than me, right, falling apart, and that's heartbreaking and horrible and there's all kinds of pain and it's it's you can find bad stories on every side and in every corner um and at the same time i can still go to my local united methodist church and the spirit is there mm-hmm. right and i i guess there's a part of me that just wants to take down the stakes a little bit right oh the united methodist church is dissolving well again yes that, that's a big deal. It's hard. I could tell you all the hurts. But also, I don't think I'm going to despair about something that's only been around for a few years more than I have. It's not the 
only arm of the Church of Jesus Christ. And I think part of what I mean when I say I don't believe in the holiness of the church is I'm questioning official accounts of holiness that one must adhere to in order to be accepted as belonging. I want to say the church is wherever the church is happening, um, even if it's not happening in my preferred way or my preferred worship style, mm -hmm. even if communion isn't being administered in the way I think it should be administered, right? Grace is there. God is there. God's at work in messes, and they're all messes. So that's a big deal that you've decided to stay at, with the UMCs, right? Was that a hard decision? Oh, everything's a hard decision, it? isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, for my husband and I, we both have an instinct to stay. Um, All right. That doesn't mean uh, that one can't also discern one needs to leave, but uh, our sort of basic position has been to stay if we can stay. Um and in fact, there's been no official split in the church anyway, right? right. Uh, but uh, there has been a lot of sort of behind the scenes uh, things going on. And I think to stay is partly to say there is no church that gets it right somewhere. There's no holy church. It's not if I leave, I'm going to be in the right church. And this one over here is the wrong one. Um, they're all the wrong one because we're all sinners. And they're all the right one because God is at work in all of them. Uh, and so I don't have to get it right by making a grandstand and picking the right denomination or non-denomination or what have you. Um, I just need to show up at the table. Hmm. Wait a minute. D do you know how many people leave a local particular church for the other right church? Yeah. Again and again and again. Over right? and over again, yeah. right? They Denominational level, individual level. I uh, yeah, of course you have to leave the wrong church to go to a right church. Well, and sometimes you need to leave, right? I mean, I sometimes I think here about the analogy of marriage. I think that one tries to stay in a marriage if one can. It's, right. it's meant to stay together. Right. But also Jesus makes room for a he marriage does. to dissolve when it needs to dissolve because sin right. is so bad, right? Um, and so... There's not a simple sort of, you never need to leave. Right, I get that. But I don't think it means it's because you found the right thing over there. It's because this thing here is clearly so harmful. Right, okay, um, that's fair. And we all have different ways of trying to discern what that might look like, I suppose. I just don't think any of us are going to land in the church that got it right um, until, until we're uh, on the other side. Okay, but the narrative we're hearing is if the church doesn't get it right, the world's going to hell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the narrative. The narrative is the reason there aren't more followers of Jesus Christ is because the church has so miserably failed. And when the church gets it right, then inevitably people will start following Jesus. A narrative told oddly by people who have radically different ideas of what getting it right might look like. Right? Well, that's fair. But who all remain confident that their rightness will draw the people in. Yeah, so, so I I'm, I'm have come to the growing conviction that um, the church is kind of in a, and to use this phrase loosely, very generic, generally speaking, in a codependent relationship with the world. That is, the church is owning, taking responsibility for behaviors and attitudes that they have no control over, that it 
it isn't only the church's fault that not everyone follows Jesus. It could be precisely because the church is doing it right that they're not following Jesus. Where, do, where in the biblical text is the message, if you get the message exactly right, people are going to inevitably follow? I think we got a lot of capitalism going on there more than we have Oh, that is interpretation a... of scripture. <laughs> yeah. So we if you have... sell the right product, if you package it properly and target your demo well, then inevitably they. So if you build it, they will come. So, I just want to. I just want to kind of re- repeat back what I'm hearing you say is: Is it that then those who are caught up in critiquing the failure of the church? Um, being the reason why people aren't attracted or drawn to the church, is it that those people critiquing it have to a degree, and again, there's there's got to be space for pulling back the curtains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There has to be space for accountability. There has to be space for examination. Um, you know, we see this with David and, and Nathan. You know, right. like, I'm not saying that critiques are unjustified, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. What I, but I want to what, what I'm hearing back is. Are we saying those who are caught up in it are being hijacked by a worldly framework such as capitalism? I never made the connection between capitalism and the what I'm hearing as the explicit and intrinsic message that when the church gets it right, they will come. Which which is all is what I'm hearing over yeah, and over and over again, uh, implicit in the critique of the church, but even more explicit in the in the prescription of what the church should be, right? And you're linking that with capitalism. So I'll say say this, I've never made the connection between capitalism and the church, but I wanna respond to Tara Bath. So so it's not that the critiques aren't true or accurate, right? We're not saying that, or unjustified, right? Right. We're not saying that. Right. And we're not saying that there isn't a place for it. And we're not saying there isn't a place for it. But with that said, that's a two-dimensional understanding of the church. That's, that is a reductionist understanding of the church. Because in that same church, there is beauty. When I said earlier, so, so uh, sin in the church is beautiful, or the church is beautiful with sin in it. I mean, that was... That was kind of a statement. The answer is yes. I mean, not that sin is ever allowed or excused or accommodated. To be the place where the sinner can come, that's beautiful, right? Um, Thank you. And to be the place where the sinner can change. It's not as simple as the old, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a country club for saints <laughs> sure, kind go of for thing. Um, but th- there is a piece of sort of basic wisdom there, Uh the beauty and the holiness for which the church exists is the beauty of forgiveness, grace, transformation, um, not of just collecting pretty things that were already out there. Um, uh, it's a place for change. Okay. What do we do then with um, the the call to be ambassadors for Christ with Christ's character what do we do with with the? I mean, some people don't go to, aren't a part of a church, 
because they don't represent Christ very well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a real thing, right? There have been people hurt because those who profess don't live it, right? So how how much sin can the church accommodate? How far from the mark can the church fall and still be the church? How's that for a specific question? So here we are. Uh, what is our view of the church? To love, to not love. Uh, I think we know it's to love, but how hopeful, how idealized can we be? Yeah, and uh, this conversation lasted an hour, which means we are going to split this podcast into two parts. Mm-hmm. For the first 30 minutes. And uh, uh, we it continued because it was... Uh, so meaningful for us anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was good conversation for us. Mm -hmm. So we invite you to join us next week as we continue the conversation about the church and what it is and how to navigate a church that is fallen in a fallen world. Uh, But uh, we hope that this first part of the conversation was helpful, beneficial. You know we believe in the church. We believe in you as pastors, and we're hoping that these conversations are helpful as you fulfill the call that God has given to you. Until next time, my friends.